Mormon athletes, and Jimmer just happens to pop up in the first list of searches. Well, Jimmer sucks. Yeah, but Jimmer was a fucking legend in college. Like, so who the fuck is Chad Lewis or Peter Vidmar? Okay, countdown in five, four, three, two, one. Hey guys, welcome to the Posting and Toasting Show. I'm Drew. Schwinn's here. What up, Schwinn? What up, what up, what up, what up? And on today's special midweek episode of the show, we have on... <laughs> yeah, are you are you sure it's of the show? Are you sure? Are you sure? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's one of those uh, it's one of those days. Um, but uh, we have smoke more weed i don't have any we don't we can't I'm not, i don't want to get into it i could talk for hours about how ridiculous the uh system is out here but <laughs> in any event we have on enemy of the show host of the locked on nicks uh podcast and fellow posting and toastinger alex wolf hey alex what is up 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 see i can't i had to make it whiter I yeah. got accused of uh, programming white, last time. White, white, You definitely whited that one up. <laughs> yeah. How do you do, fellow podcasters? <laughs> our our rival, our one of yeah, our. Yeah, we have our rival on the uh, the show again. How's uh? How we're really show? rivals. I mean. Well, yeah, because we're the better show, so that makes sense. I don't know about that. I mean, it's always it's always good to bring on a guest and then insult what they do. I exactly. Like I mean. <laughs> Let's just check the download reports, fellas. <laughs> uh, I actually have no idea how to even check that. So, like, people, yeah. always, I've <laughs> had people ask me like how many listens and downloads we got, and I'm just like, yeah, like you know, yeah, so. <laughs> get that stuff. Yeah, I just, I just fudge the numbers for uh for Schwinn. I just be like, oh yeah, we're getting like 500 million downloads and stuff I mean, like that. He's like, Schwinn's you know, like, yeah, sure, whatever, that's great. It's gotta suck being the little brother podcast on this podcast network, though, behind the shock jock. Power. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough, tough competition, but you know. yeah, yeah, it is. So, um, in case you're living under a, uh, in case you're living under a rock, the uh, the Knicks signed two front office people since the release of our last episode. They signed Walt Perrin. Perrin. Perrin, I think. Perrin. Okay, Perrin. we're gonna say we're gonna go with Walt Perrin. He worked as some sort of head assistant scout thing for the Utah Jazz. I don't know his official title, nor do I care. He worked with the Utah Jazz in, you know, draft, player person, like draft, draft player, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. Then they hired Frank Zanin. Zanin? I've been yeah. saying Zanin. I think okay, Zanin. Okay, we're going to go with yeah. Frank Zanin. Frank Xanax. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, he's in the uh, next front office as well. He came from Oklahoma City, and he's going to be an assistant general manager, just like 
uh, Walt Pirin, but he's going to be more on the pro scouting side, while Walt Pirin is going to be more on the um, college and draft and things like that side. And on a on a rare um, instance, I think it was like back to back times, like bas- basketball Twitter, NBA Twitter was quite, you know, we're like, oh man, these are great hires by the uh, the Knicks, which is always funny to me because it's like I don't think half these people really know who these guys actually are or anything. Well, like, which is amusing. But however, I mean, it's always a good sign when you hire people from like so, organizations. So like the Zanin thing, I don't know. Maybe I don't really like follow. I feel like Thunder Twitter doesn't exist. I don't like. There's I don't like two or three people and like that that's all i know yeah, I think it's like disappeared. Royce... there used to be a very angry russell westbrook stan twitter hive, yeah hive whatever for the thunder and then once he got traded i feel like i never see anything from like quote-unquote thunder twitter anymore yeah i don't i i, I just know like that what royce young right he mm-hmm. exists and that that's it like he's the only thing i know about the thunder like i'm pretty sure he's the only thunder twitter person thing that i follow yeah um, uh, you know quote-unquote you know reporter journalists you know unbiased type thing yeah yeah so i didn't see anything about zanon so i don't really have like i just i mean i i saw they got hired obviously and i know he's been working in okc as a like advanced scout i believe uh which is kind of tied to player like person like pro pro scouting um I mean, basically, it is pro scouting. Um, so that's what he was doing for the Thunder since 2016. And then before that, he worked as an assistant GM in Brooklyn under mm-hmm. sh- under uh, fucking Billy King. <laughs> uh, so, like, obviously not a great association. Again, like, we don't know what these people do exactly or don't do. But really, in his case, like, there was nothing. So we really don't, like, all we know is that he was... These are the things he did. We don't know. Like there was nobody like you know saying he did this thing. He was so involved in this activity. Um, so take that for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then with but with with Perrin, there was like genuine, you know, like there was yeah, like Jazz, all these Jeremiah Johnson. I think he run he has a podcast, Jazz podcast. I think he works for one of the local networks. Uh, he was he's. Did we just lose Schwinn? Uh, okay. Oh yeah, we lost. Yeah. Them. Oh, there where, he is. Where did you? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you now. This is so weird. I don't know why this happens all the time. Um, you gotta get better internet. No, it's not the internet. I think it's the mic. Um, what's the What's the last thing I said? Uh, you were talking about how someone named Jeremiah Johnson. Oh was, yeah, uh, praising him. Yeah. So yeah, he this works. Is all, this is all staying in the podcast too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I like it better this way. Let's do the Verizon guy bit. Can we do that real quick? Should we do it? Yeah. Can you hear me now? Good. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, so he he was just saying that without without Perrin, Mitchell and Gobert would not be uh, like they would not be have been drafted by the jazz and they actually made trades for both of those guys to acquire them. So I was just listening to, uh, Macri's pod that he did with this dude, Jeremiah Johnson, and he outlined it further. Um, basically like the only reason they even got a workout with Mitchell is because he, um, yeah, parents like, buddies with, uh, was his agent. And yeah, cause there's right. a video too of a uh, parent talking with, uh, someone, 
yeah, on like local but, Utah, whatever sports radio or something like that. Yeah, was it Mitchell's that, agent Rose? No, no, that, no, 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 no. Those so, afterwards. Rose, oh, run, okay. Rose runs CAA. His agent was Ty Sullivan, who works for CAA. Oh, so word. Okay. he has probably had you know conversations and has some kind of relationship with Rose, but he wasn't his kind of direct agent, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he said that like the only reason they even got a workout was because of Perrin's relationship with Mitchell and I guess Mitchell or he had had Mitchell as a lottery pick even before that. And, you know, like, I guess he was very influential in that selection. Let's just say that. Um, and then with Gobert, apparently he like, he was really scrawny then Gobert. Like he wasn't filled out at the time of the draft. And I guess he was getting like bodied in workouts and stuff. And Perrin was like, no, no, like this guy is really good. He just like really, really wants to play, and he's really, like, you know how big guys are. Some big guys are just playing basketball because they're big. Um, <laughs> anyway, I guess Perrin was able to like discern that Gobert loved basketball and had all this like untapped potential and blah blah blah. And anyway, they traded up for him too. They gave up the forty sixth pick in that draft and cash and something named Eric Green uh, <laughs> to move up to twenty seven to get Gobert for the Mitchell. They traded uh, the twenty fourth pick and. Their previous year's lottery pick, actually, uh, Trey Lyles, uh, to move up for Mitchell at 13. So anyway, uh, that was just a quick summation of things I had heard about Perrin. But yeah, the Perrin hire, at least, whatever we know, we don't know much about Zanin. Uh, Maybe we'll learn more in the next few days. But everything I've heard about Perrin is, you know, hard worker. Apparently he was doing like 100, like the Jazz were working on like 100 people when other teams were working out like 20 and that's because of him. Um, he was organizing like two workouts a day and shit like that. So, like again, what I got out of listening to um, Macri's pod was just that like this guy is an insane worker, and he is like he loves doing the like scouting college prospects and all that. So, um, you know, at least on the surface, it's a good get for the Knicks. Um, so, what he does obviously will determine how good and how they use whatever information he gives them. But yeah, uh, good good hire. I mean, I just want to say, does any of this matter, considering that um, Scott Perry is his boss, and <laughs> Scott Perry sucks, and will drive the Knicks into the ground? I mean, why even hire anybody else, quite frankly? That's, that's, a, that's a very fair point to bring up, because titles matter in front offices in the NBA, and Scott Perry is still the GM, no matter how anyone cuts it and that means he has the final say in everything this isn't even just like basketball though like you if you go to like any company org chart you'll see like how many companies you go to their org chart they'll have like 40 different vps right yes it's it's, and and half those guys are not even (laughs) like like there's obviously some that are super important and then there's some who are just like vps right Mm -hmm. i mean the same shit happens with like when they have like uh like boards right for like you know various companies so like the board of a company half the time the board like some of the board members don't even have like aren't involved in day-to-day operations of a company shockingly just the price for some people will maybe be shocked that I, I don't think they are because i think people listen to us probably are into this type of business most board people this, this, podcast are, is, this podcast is for intellectuals it is true um most people <laughs> on the board at boards usually don't do day-to-day stuff right. whatsoever like it's generally thing like you could be like the board president 
which is great, and you have some power when there's board meetings, but you do not have, like, day-to-day say in what, like, goes on. So, oh, like, dude. people... Boards are just a way for old white people to keep getting paid once they retire. Yeah, that's all boards are. It's like generational money being passed. Yeah, like it's yeah. really like just so people realize like titles. Like you'd be surprised how much titles don't. They only matter in terms of like in the in like job markets and things. So like I'm something with like my job title right now, right? So like so that means the president of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you uh, you got me there. That's that's a long story that we don't need to get into right now with the uh, podcast. Isn't it butt licking? What? <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, because it was just like I just want to be called like the data wizard, right? And because it's just it's a great name, but at the same time, like titles do matter when you're searching for a job and things like that, right? Because they want to see because a lot of companies want want to see some sort of progress in a title shows that level of progress, even though it's really more important what you do in it right it's literally like it's a it's like a it's a it's a symbolic reference of taking steps you know steps in like i've done stuff when i was working my previous job in dallas like i i had title changes but my responsibilities more or less stayed the same right it was just the idea of like you're showing growth within the company and the company itself it's also a way for them yeah and it's like a way for them to justify giving you like it's like when you get a pay bump you also want a title with it right it's like it's a way to kind of show that um and like, so the other thing too is if you're smart, companies sometimes do this too. Like they, they will hire you to do a job that's above the title. Like they'll, they'll find like a happy medium kind of, right? So like if you're hiring, like I think, so this, they, these hires are interesting, right? Because they're, they're being hired as assistant GMs, which I guess in the NBA are viewed as like promotions from vice president of whatever the fuck or like player personnel whatever it was yeah Yeah. that's what it seems like they are it seems like appears to be this is a step up in terms of title wise and so that was what that was what scott perry sorry to that was what scott perry got promoted to when he got hired by sacramento before he got hired by the knicks like two months later to be their actual gm he got he went from being a vp of something or other um with orlando to being the assistant general manager with Sacramento to then being the GM of the Knicks, which he was also in, it was the same exact role he did with Sacramento with a title change. Cause he never had necessarily the final say that a lot of people think GMs have. That was still Steve Mills, no matter how we slice it. Cause he was the president of basketball operations. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, I, I think people just get really hung up on, the title for whatever reason, maybe it's because of NBA 2K and like the my GM mode where you have final saying you're the GM. Like, I don't, I don't know why people. Get I it. think what's, I think what's going to happen in the current power structure of the Knicks is Leon Rose has the final say on everything. He's okay. going to take, he's going to take input from Perrin. Uh, well, so as far as the draft is concerned, he's going to go to Perry and per- <laughs> Perry and Perrin and uh, <laughs> ask, yes. And ask what they think and make a decision based off what he thinks based off what they think but you know considering that he apparently has a a more personal relationship with Perrin he might you know value his input more and then I think on the free agent side hopefully he's just going to completely ignore Perry and just go to Zanin and Zanin's going to be essentially their free agent guy who he goes to for guidance about you know pro scouting and who to sign who to take a risk on as far as money's concerned and whatever and actually Aller too I think he'll go to we Kind of getting about him now. 
no, Aller's definitely going to be like but he's the wingman in this situation. Yeah, on the so, player side. For yeah. So like one thing from that Berman, this is from a Berman article on April 21st um, regarding Brock Aller. I think it was, this was like before he officially got hired, but it had like leaked that he had agreed to come to the Knicks. Um, <clears throat> so it says here, um, Aller was a financial planner, capologist with Cleveland, but a source said he'll be more than a capologist under Rose. However, Aller is not the GM, a basketball intensive position that remains up in the air. And I believe Perry had already extended for a year at that point. Um, pretty sure. So, yeah, so that that it's interesting that that's in there, uh, like that that position remains up in the air, even though Perry had ostensibly been. Uh, extended for a year at that point. Uh, then it says, it goes on to say, another person familiar with this situation said Aller would be regarded as sort of a quote-unquote chief, chief of staff who would aid Rose in future hirings such as GM and in running finances. And it's interesting to me that like within a month of being officially or you know agreeing to come to the Knicks, you now have two assistant GM appointees all while like Madkins and all these other fucking guys that Perry and Mills hired are as gone. Bondi reported today are gone. So like to me, I and this is just me like kind of guessing here. Um but the way I see it is that Perry is helping them like he, he all right, first of all, Perry like was the GM or president or whatever, but he was like the lone guy running the organization for a while. Right, because Mills got canned, and then in between that and Rose being officially like able to kind of decertify and end all of his business relationships as an agent, Perry had to run the show. That was like for a month. He ran the the trade deadline. We know that. We also know that he was tasked with kind of helping set up the Knicks draft board and organizing all of that data and information. Um, so, like, I think it makes sense to just be like you know i think it can be a professional thing where you're like hey look like we're definitely moving in a different direction here but we'd like to keep you on for a year to help us you know with this transition and you know uh we'll give you like you can keep your job title and we'll still pay and we'll pay you like you know like i think that's a pretty reasonable thing that probably is happening here um and i see that like you know i think all there will be helping kind of dictate the very broad strokes of general strategy the Knicks want to take um, in building the team up. And then I'm assuming that, like, based on what he is envisioning and what Rose is kind of like, what him and Rose come up with will then dictate, like, what information they kind of use from a pro scouting Zanin and from a college scouting uh, perspective um, with parent so like i don't know I, I think it just generally you know he's hired three people leon rose hired three people he hired a cap management and general strategy guy and then he hired a pro personnel scout and then he hired a college scout like that just that seems logical to me and yes perry is still there but it, it does feel like a more it feels like that he he's trying to create a collaborative setup versus like I'm number one and he's number two and then three, four, like, you know what I mean? It doesn't seem like it's mm -hmm. a, a flow, like a flow chart like that. It seems like it's more like 
Rose is on top, and then these guys and Perry are like underneath him, kind of collaboratively working together. And like, sure, I I guess people always worry, and it's a reasonable thing to worry about because it's the Knicks, and like, there's always like this political stuff of backstabbing and shit like that going on. But I think, um, you know, if you look at it, like, this is the the kind of collaborative setup here that it I think Rose is going for. That's exactly what like. Golden State, if you read interviews from Bob Myers and stuff like that, he's talked about is like having this collaborative setup where like people share ideas and are comfortable kind of expressing how they feel uh, opinions on stuff like within within the group. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm certainly being like very optimistic about all this, but on the surface, all of this seems like very normal to me and not very weird at all. Yeah, I don't think really any of this is weird. And just to maybe help maybe ease some people who are concerned the idea that uh, Perry is the GM and whatever that's second in command or whatever it is. The, uh, the excellent show 24, everyone knows 24. Um, David Palmer, you know, the goat president of the United States are, uh, I would say, our, was he our first black president in the, uh, in the, in mm. the history of the country? Official <laughs> candidate. Yeah. Yeah. That is Haysbert. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yep. uh, the president wasn't black in Independence Day, was he? No, it was in Deep Impact. Morgan. No, Freeman. Deep Impact. It was Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, no, so David Palmer was the president of the United States. So obviously, you would assume that the whoever the vice president was in the show, who I actually don't know because he's rarely in it, would be second in command and have a huge influence on what the president had to say. But that was never the case with David Palmer, right? Who is his guy? It was Mike Novick. He was chief of staff, and that's who. Brock Aller is basically going to be to Leon Rose. So, like, look let's at, look at known uh, horrible person uh, Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. No, 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 no. We don't, we don't recommend House of Cards and Kevin Spacey and on this. Podcast. I mean, it was a good on, show, man. but like, he sucks. But in that, he also was heavily influenced by his chief of staff and never the actual vice president. He basically appointed a figurehead as the vice president and didn't give a shit. Just for another example. Yeah, thanks <laughs> Thanks for bringing up, you know, gross Kevin Spacey in this podcast, who we never wanted to be associated with. You're welcome. <laughs> you can do that, do that on Locked on Nicks, okay? I'm just I'm dragging you back down to the with the rest of us here. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so just, just so everyone understands that, like, someone being a chief of staff to the head guy is a lot more important than whatever Scott Perry's title is. Like, just everyone, let's calm down a bit. But um, I'll say, like, we're going to have to find out if these guys are good, but I would say just, you know, on the surface, I mean, just poaching people from two organizations that are well-respected is a good, is like, a, is a good sign towards a good sign towards progress. I would I say. say, I don't know how anybody could complain about these because this is the exact thing that like every whiny poopy diaper baby on Twitter would ever want from the Knicks, which is, you know, why are we not like, Oh my God. Why? Like, I'll admit, I was kind of a little bit pissed when they, like, hired Leon Rose after, like, five minutes, you know, of letting Steve Mills go. And I was like, shit, why didn't we put more into this? Why didn't we interview more candidates? Like, why were we so dead set on hiring this agent? But based off the moves that Rose has made now, like, he's basically done everything that I would have wanted. And and what I said, like... When they first hired him, I was like, I'm worried the CAA stink is real. Like, I really worry because, like, CAA had such a, like, they had the Knicks by the balls for so many years. And it was, like, such a toxic, like, relationship with the 
with the team where it just seemed like CAA was running the Knicks for the better part of like three, four years. Um, but that was, you know, probably as much to do with Mello as anybody else, considering he was uh, a CAA client, but also one of Rose's clients. But um, how he's conducted himself since he took the job has given me tons of confidence. Like, cause basically it's exactly what anybody could have asked for. Like keeping Perry for one, I don't, I mean, Perry was, everybody always wants to forget about this, but like Perry was like a huge up and comer when the Knicks got him and everybody was like freaking out because they're like, Oh my God, they finally went after like an up and coming, you know, GM candidate. And, you know, Drew, to your point, like Mills was the guy calling the shots. Like I'm sure that Perry had plenty of influence um in certain decisions and stuff like but signing alfred Payne, maybe like signing out <laughs> for sure but like based off like the five minutes that we saw steve mills as the sole person in charge of the team when he signed tim hardaway to that huge deal and ron baker to like a five-year zillion dollar contract which is maybe exaggerating a tiny bit but i still get butthurt over the ron baker contract um you know it it's like I don't know. It's so hard to assign things to Perry. And so like at this point now with these last two hires that he's made along with the Aller hire, you know, he hired Aller before picking up Perry's option. Correct. And then, and then came Perry's option. And then these two signings. So I mean, one... to me, it feels pretty good so far. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like I, I think he's doing a pretty nice job. Like even the Perry thing, like, Perry was an up-and-comer two years ago. Like, it was not that long ago. <laughs> One thing I would say is that, like, Mills consistently talked about keeping cap flexibility and, like, valuing it and not just tossing tossing it away because you have it. And, like, while he said that, he also... His first act as like team president was to sign Tim Hardaway Jr. to a four year, $71 million contract. And that was, <clears throat> and that was like, <clears throat> um, you know, like obviously the Ron Baker thing, which was like two years, nine million for no reason. So he does those two things. And then, then finally he hires Scott Perry. And then all of a sudden, like, if you look at the contracts the next three years, basically, they're all like one year deals. They're all like that. And, and then you get to that last summer and like the Knicks, okay, all some of these contracts were like the Portis contract was an absurd overpay, right? Like that's fine. Mm-hmm. We can all agree to this, but you know, they were, they were all team. They were all structured. So the team had control of the situation. Like if Portis played out of his mind, we get to keep him. He doesn't have any any say in that because it's a team option on the second year, and that's mm-hmm. all structured. Like that's very, and he consistently had kind of set these contracts up like that. Like, he, like I know it sounds stupid, but like the Trey Burke thing, he signs him, and then he gets like a small partial puts a par, small partial guarantee on the second year, and like they're like just these small things like that, which are very different from how. <clears throat> um, past Knicks regime. I mean, look like you, you can look at exactly what happened under Phil and what happened under Grunwald. And it's like, yeah, Gr- like Grunwald was good, but he also consistently lost contract negotiations. Like Felton got a fourth year player option coming off a year where he was fat and discontent and everybody in Portland fucking hated it. Um, Novak got a fourth year player option because God knows why. Like these kind of things were constant 
constant. Like, obviously, the Phil stuff we can go through forever. Joe Kim Noah, four years, seventy-two million. Like, uh, constantly, like these these big deals that are always favorable to. Like, he gave the better better examples. Aaron Aflalo, he gave him a two-year deal, sixteen million option in the second year, but the second year was the player option. So, like, it's it's stuff like that where there were small things that Perry. I think when Perry came in, you could see some of his influence there. Now, that doesn't make him good. That doesn't make him a good GM. I think all it says really is that like he might have value in terms of like helping you negotiate um, and and making sure that like you're not you're not giving out contracts that like hamper your your flexibility long term and shit like that. And like maybe that's not that big a deal. Maybe I'm overrating it because we were subjected for so long to like never having those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a thing that at least happened under Perry. So, you know, if he goes away and it continues like good, that means we clearly have hired execs that seem to kind of get this stuff. But, you know, he's the first person I can remember a long time that at least was able to get those things done. He did. And it was just, it was definitely refreshing to see just even just a basic level <laughs> of competence. And you know, another thing that I think we should give to Perry is the exhibit 10 thing. Like, that's been a pretty, I, I think that that has built more goodwill for the Knicks than is known among like the agent community and stuff. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like the, it's like basically you give a bonus to somebody and then they wave them and sign them to like the Westchester team or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So basically like normally a G league player can make like, like I, I, they quote unquote raised it in the last couple of years. I think it's like 50,000 maybe max. I think it's like 35. (laughs) It's not a lot normally, but if you sign them to one of these exhibit 10 deals, even if you sign them for literally like five hours and wave them five hours later, um, you can sign them to a G League contract and pay them, I think it's $80,000 for the year, um, as long as they're with the team for at least like two months or something like that. So, which is like basically nothing. Like that's like as long as it would take for a guy to get noticed to start getting in the 10-day contract season. Um, so that's another thing. Like Perry Perry has basically set up almost every player on the Westchester Knicks every year. And I assume this is Perry because this doesn't seem savvy enough to be a Mills thing. Um, he's, he's set up basically every player on the Westchester Knicks every single year to make like over double what they would normally make playing in the G league, which is a pretty solid move. Um, like part of the Knicks, like the Westchester Knicks are owned by, you know, James Dolan, just the same as the Knicks are and everything. So like, you know, that unlimited money is involved. So it's, it's nice that Perry is sort of prioritized. Like, yeah, we're going to pay every single one of these guys, $80,000. Cause to James Dolan, $80,000 versus $35,000 is like not even worth discussing. So clearly I'm still pretty fine with Perry. Like, like I'm, I'm staying in the reduced capacity I'm expecting him to stay in, even if the job title stays the same. Um, because I am fairly confident at this point that, like, he just doesn't. I'm not, I don't think he has a great vision for team building. Um, I, I think he's like, he knows he needs stars. So he just keeps looking for, like, I mean, every team needs a star, right? We all know that. Every team needs a star or two to like build around long term to be successful in any meaningful way. I get that, but like 
his route to doing that and building a cohesive team seems way too focused on like these on ball shot creator gunner type dudes. And like, I don't think he values enough that if you put together like 15, like if 10 of your 15 guys on a roster somehow fall underneath that, <laughs> that like <laughs> category player, you're deficient in so many other areas. Um, and like the weird stuff with Frank, which like, look, it, it's not even so much that I like Frank. It's more that be, like the type of player he is, how quickly it just seemed like Perry was out on him is weird to me and like disturbing because this guy was also like uh, an executive with those 2003, 2004 Pistons teams that were like had like like eight guys that couldn't score for shit but were all great defenders and shit like that. So like it's very weird to me that he just seemed out on him from the beginning. Um and like you know like like I said like just look at the guys we signed last summer. There was clearly and like since he's been here really all the guys he's bet on as like reclamation projects kind of they all fall under this gunner type dude. Like you know fucking Hazonia Burke uh Randall, Randall's like the good version of this, who's because he's actually an NBA player who has value. Um, <coughs> Portis, Peyton, like, Peyton. Peyton's not even like a gunner; he's just fucking annoying. Well, it's more of like it's just he's a ball dominant guard who can't shoot, which it kind of really limits you into what you can do. On a dominant is probably like the better best way of categorizing all of them. But yeah, like it's it just even like I mean, I, I the Knox pick is weird because like. I don't think even if you liked Knox, you could not have liked him because of his like immediate ability to create offense for himself or anything. Like that was not at all what he was showed being good at in Kentucky. Like what he actually was good at in Kentucky was playing off the ball and you know, they tried to immediately turn him into like this gunner again. So <clears throat> I, I I do worry about that and like that's why I'm happy that Again, my assumption is he's not going to be like involved in setting or directing the vision of like how we're building this team moving forward. I'm sure that he will have his opinion listened to uh, because that's kind of like how I imagine it working. Um, but he's I think it's it's obvious. I think it's very obvious that he is not, um, you know, he's lost a lot of his juice. I think that's fair to say. So if that's the case, so I, as much as we are looking at this, you know, glass half full, in a way, there's there's definitely a lot of Knicks fans who are looking at it like, you know, this still isn't necessarily like the greatest thing. So that brings an interesting question of what else do the Knicks necessarily have to do, whether it's front office, how they approach the draft, maybe even how they approach the off season, like, or just kind of the other moves necessarily going forward that if the Knicks go in this specific route, you'd be like, Oh, they finally did turn a page and they're doing something that actually makes, you know, me believe in, you know, an actual changing of the guard at MSG. Um, the first thing there are like three things. Kind of the first thing is adding a, <clears throat> Like these kind of fall into the same thing, but adding development staff and a shooting coach, like those, that has to happen. Um, I'll be really concerned if that doesn't happen, because 
I mean, I think I think it's weird. So like when the Knicks hired Fisher, I actually know that they brought in a bunch of the OKC guys, and OKC is like notorious for having way too many development coaches. And like I, I remember listening when I used to actually listen to like fucking Dunked On uh podcast, they like mentioned how when they had like, I guess they had seen the Knicks a few times that year, but they, they mentioned how like Fisher had brought over a lot of the pregame stuff, development stuff that um, they did in OKC to like work on finishing and handle and all of this kind of stuff. It was like a very rigorous routine. Um, so I know that they did that, but then like when Fisher left, a lot of those OKC guys left with him. And it's been, I mean, apparently Fisdale and Craig Robinson had the secret sauce of like, you know, development. fucking development, which <laughs> was never apparent um, for anybody other than Moutier, apparently. Was it? Did Schwinn cut? I wonder if Schwinn cut out or ended right here. It, it's no, I, I didn't end. I was catching my breath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, I thought it's, you cut off again. I was I like, so. listen, that was a perfect moment. It really was. <laughs> so okay, so you're stick to the idea of like picking up, like at least reporting, like public reporting of some sort of development staff, whether it's a shooting coach or a specific player. <laughs> could be like something along the lines where there's an official report yeah i just i just think like we it's it's an area that like one thing that's good about these hires right these front office hires is you went out of your organization and you paid money to go get a couple of like dudes who were kind of well established where they were in good positions and like you paid to go get them like this is the competitive advantage you have in a capped league is that the front office positions aren't capped. Coaching positions aren't capped. Development positions aren't capped. So, like, you should, like, if Dolan's going to fucking be out here spending stupid money, spend it more efficiently. And I feel like these are areas that would help you do that. Um, because, like, you know, look, like, we've had Frank for three years. We've had Knox for two years. We've had RJ for one. Like, who is the last guy we picked and, and dra- like, drafted and be- and we improved as a shooter? Just think about that. I don't remember the last one. Yeah, it's like Frank very slightly. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I mean, I yeah, guess I can, you can say yeah. Porzingis, but like, I feel like Porzingis was always going to become a good shooter, and that mm-hmm. wasn't really anything to do with our staff. Um, and well, I the guess, same thing with Frank. I don't think it has anything to do with staff. Like, I think he just was destined to eventually find consistency. Yeah, and his shooting has still like not been good. So, like, you know, like, it's like, Okay, he's improved, but it's still not good. So well, we're we're basically hope like it isn't good whatsoever. We're basically hoping the fact that he's basically almost ninety percent from the foul line, or like yeah, that stretch where he was basically ninety percent from the foul line. That plus you know growing into his body a little more will then in turn produce shooting. We don't actually know though, which is kind of the scary part because well, like, he also right. has like a beautiful shooting form. So that definitely helps too. Like the same thing with Knox. Like you feel like Knox is going to come around. I mean, <laughs> well, it's it's worrisome to me because like so Frank has come back two summers in a row. If you go back actually and like go back and look at the start of his second season, he was shooting really well. He was shooting like he had like a stretch of like seven eight games where he was shooting really well. And like yeah, I know it's seven or eight games, but he's shot well for France. He shot better at Strasbourg. Like he shoots better. He comes back. He starts off shooting pretty well from three with the Knicks and then gradually he goes to sucking and then like Kevin Knox 
works all summer apparently on getting a consistent three ball. Comes in, he's draining. Do you remember how fucking on fire he was to start the season? Yeah, he was and just then, draining him. Yeah, and then like his shot goes away, and he just goes into like this fucking epic slump, and like, and then and then the 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 best one. Dennis Jr., this guy works with – he actually works with Keith Smart. So, like, Frank and Knox didn't necessarily work with Nick Staff over the summer. So when they come back and then they suck, it's like, oh, that's weird. But then Dennis Smith, this guy, works out with Keith fucking Smart all summer. He comes back. I've never seen a player regress more as a shooter than that. So, like, this is just tangible stuff that we have here. Three, three different guys under the Knicks tutelage who have either barely progressed, have stagnated, or have even regressed as shooters. And, like, this is the stuff that I think matters because the Jazz actually have done a good job of fine unearthing and, like, developing players' like shooting strokes. Like, Donovan Mitchell has improved as a shooter. Royce O'Neal is a guy that was, I think he was a UDFA. He's turned into a pretty good shooter. Like, I mean, you can just look at their roster and, and you'll see a list of dudes that have improved. And it's just, I, I don't know what to like make of that necessarily. Other than that, you know, like if they do this, if they hire a shooting coach and they hire like some specific development staff, that would give me a lot more confidence that like, it's not just Steve Mills and Scott Perry saying that they value development, but like not really showing me they value it with how they manage things other than like not trading picks and not trading young players. Because to me, that's like, the bare modicum of valuing <laughs> young talent. Like you have to, you can value it and not nurture it, but if you value it and don't nurture it, then it doesn't fucking mean anything. You have to like value what you have and then nurture it. And the Knicks need to get better at that. So like those two things would show me they're at least taking it more seriously. Did you, did you say there was a third thing or? Oh no? yeah. I mean, the third thing is I think they should extend Frank because I think that like, I would like for them to one break their long streak of not extending a player they've drafted since Charlie Ward. And two, like I think it would show that they're interested in one developing a core and two willing to take risk in a different way. Aside from like, like right now it seems like their risk is entirely their risk profile is basically like we don't want to have bad contract, potentially even potentially bad contracts that stay on the books for longer than a year or two. Um, and we don't want we like we only want to sign stars or nothing. Right. Like that's basically what they said last summer, which I don't think is fundamentally wrong. But I think you need to show that you can do more than that. And I think signing Frank would be a good litmus test in the sense that um, I believe that he showed a lot of good signs towards the end of last season um like basically from when miller took him and made him the full-time bench point guard uh he improved his finishing he improved his frequency of drives he improved his overall efficiency like he showed more aggressiveness his usage went up like these are all good things you want to see and i think he he's still 21 uh, we knew he was a project coming in. He's a plot. He's a clear positive defensive player. Like he has flexibility in terms of like given his size, where you can play him in lineups. Like this is a player that I think a smart team would be like, okay, sure, he hasn't progressed like we want as fast as we want. 
and he's not Donovan Mitchell, and he's not like all these guys that got drafted the OG Ananobi. Like he's not. I'm sorry, he's not those guys. It sucks that he's not those guys, but he. But like he's what we have. Let's let's bet on ourselves to that we can get more out of this guy from age 22 to 25. Like that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a crazy bet to me. I think that's a smart bet. Like I th- like what is Frank's extension gonna run? If you extend Frank this summer, I'm almost positive you could get him for like three years, twenty million. Well, I know in two K, which is you know the perfect you know analog to real life, uh, how real life works. I managed to extend Frank. I think five years at like ten million per year. Okay, of course you extended him for five years. Of course, I have, uh, it has to be five years. I mean, are you kidding me? I built the whole team around him. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I in my most recent one, I think I extended him for like four years, sixty million or something like that. Yeah, look, that's I, what it's yeah, to. look. It, uh, here's the thing, though. Like, that's actually way too high in terms of what he's a restricted free agent. What team is going to be sitting there? Like, no, well, that's the whole thing. Is like the idea that like NBA 2K is even like that realistic. Like, the Knicks should definitely give him three years. You give him like, what you say three twenty, like that. That's no one's giving him more than three twenty, given the way he. Oh, I think I think, I think a team a team might give him more than three twenty, but that's not the point. The point is, a team has to give him enough that the Knicks don't match, right? I that's feel comfortable for what it's worth. And I, I wrote this in my little like SI thing. Well, I didn't like write it yet. I have to write my like bench piece, but I I put on like when I put out like the salary cap table or whatever from that. I am. Um, I would feel fairly comfortable going up to like three thirty-five, thirty-six-ish with a with a fourth-year option, like a fourth-year player option for him. I just, I just don't think you even need to do that because, especially with like the the COVID thing. We yeah, know, I would say cap, I think I don't think you need to. Uh, yeah, I should say I'm assuming a normal cap. Like, I'm know, not even assuming a normal cap. I think that would be what a team would have to offer to potentially get rid. Like the idea of like they have to offer that just to make the Knicks actually consider not matching. Because like thirteen million for a player who hasn't really showed much other than some potential, like that's a that's a huge and gamble. I think the, that would be the thing. Like the Spurs, or for example, would be like, fine, that's what we have to do to pry him away from the Knicks. Yeah, I just like more than anything. I mean, it doesn't really matter. That I think like four thirty, something like that. Like we know the cap is it's not going to be going up. Like like we no. like we anticipated, and that's probably going to be a multi year thing. It's not just going to be like. 2022 and oh the cap's back to normal like no like they're gonna spread this hit over like a two three year period so that's gonna affect guys like frank and like free agents in general like the top guys will get paid because they always get paid but the middle guys the ones that get screwed and somebody like frank especially will get screwed because he's not putting up fucking like 15 points per game or anything he had his first 20 fucking point game you know (laughs) like like his third year into his career (laughs) anyway like my point is just like to me, a smart organization, a, a, an organization that that actually values all the bullshit that the Knicks always tell us, and and believes in themselves to like be able to flip contracts and and play that game. Frank at like four, four years, seven million a pop, I, something like that. That's like what that's going to be maybe six or seven percent of your cap for a player. That's, I think, I think you should definitely be able to do that and and sign him to that and i would it would just show me like a very um it would show a different approach 
in in not just like and not just paying lip service to saying that we're going to take a different approach and do all these things. Alex, do you have anything before I go, or would you like me to go before you? I don't really care. Um, all right, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll finish go. off. I'll go. That's, That's fine. You can go ahead. We should okay. let Alex finish off since it's his podcast. There's yeah, really you know, since I since yeah, I'll switch into host mode. I'll finish this off. It's fine. Yeah. So just when you already laid out some good examples, so one thing I'm going to give us a little different i would say is whenever the lottery actually happens say the knicks fall to eight right and they're just like they're out of the whoever you think is going to be like topics depending on what it is i think a sign for them would be if they traded up for someone that they actually wanted in the draft like they actually bet on i think that would show because the knicks never (laughs) never trade up for anyone that they want they always talk about how like oh they love these guys and never do anything so like if they're at eight and they decided to like trade up to five because they really like like they really want like Killian Hayes or something like that. Or if Lamelo drops to like three or four or something like that, they're like, we need this guy. I think if they trade up and they don't do like some like stupid ass trade, I think that would show a sign of like, oh, they actually went after someone that they wanted. And I think that's something we'd never really see the Knicks do in terms of risking something for a player. So I would actually I think that would be something. I was like, granted, I don't want him to like trade up for Obi Toppin or someone like that, but I think trading up in the draft would be it doesn't even have to be at the top of the pick. Like they could even like trade from they're probably gonna have what do you think the Clippers pick is gonna be? Like 28, 29? 27. Like 27, we know for almost it's, for sure. Unless they redo tw- their regular season still. Okay, so it's twenty seven. Like even if they move from like they trade like their twenty the twenty seven and like second round whatever it's going to be like the ninth and the second round they move up to like 15 for someone that like fell i would like that i would just like to see them being a little more aggressive creative yes just like something in the draft where they're just like oh like you know like spencer was on and we he basically convinced us that like poku was it alexi poku yeah it just just go with poku man yeah, I think it's Alexei Pokashevsky. Listen, I was going to try with the proper pronunciation <laughs> because I can't do it, but I was going to try it. You know, I'm not like Bill Simmons who specifically mispronounces people's names because he like doesn't want to learn them. But like, I'm just in case like Frankie Nicotine, which somehow. No, he specifically. No, he called so funny, though. Get it? Because like, <laughs> like nicotine, it's yeah. not xenophobic at all. <laughs> no, it's no, but he. No, he says, like, Nicolina or something like that. Like, he specifically pronounces it wrong every single time. And it's like, you're, you're not funny. <laughs> but he, Well, he, like, pretends, like, it's so hard to say. Like, Frankie Nicolina. I'm like, it's, yeah, it's, it's that really hard to not, say, man. It's really not that hard. <laughs> but no, like, a Pokueski. God damn it. I will get it one day. But anyway, so if he's at, like, available at, like, 15, right? And the Knicks are like, we really like this guy. And they trade 27 and 45, whatever it is down to 15 to pick up like Poku, that would be a sign to me that like, oh, the Knicks are actually doing something different. Well, what if me. they like, I, I think what if they did something more like, I would be fine. I'd be happy they did that. But I would like to see like, when I so when I talked about taking risk in different ways, what if they swap 27 and 15 but take on like a bad contract. Yeah, like some yeah, that like would be that that, that would that show would, like, oh wow, you're not just so fucking obsessed with like 
keeping your cap space free in case Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to sign with you next summer. Like, bro, if Giannis wants to sign with you and you have to clear cap space, you'll nobody's figure gonna, the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody's going to care that you have to give up a first-round pick to, like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody's going to care. Because that's you know like, we got Giannis, all right, sweet. If I may piggyback on this whole thing and add another thing that I think would be important that always infuriates me about the Knicks every single year. And I wasn't even thinking about this, but this kind of makes my list now of things that I want to see out of this like new front office. Utilize every goddamn penny of the $5 million that yes. of like slush fund money that you get. Yeah. Because the Knicks every year, like I see... Uh, the, the one that blew my mind the most was the one year when Jordan Bell was available in the second round and the Bulls had the pick that could have taken him and the Warriors just paid whatever that slush fund is that like three to five million dollars. It was three million at that time. At that yeah, time, it was three. They didn't get, I don't think they gave three million, though, did they? No, they did. They, they did. did. They it, gave it's, the come on, it's Reinsdorf, man. Come but on. that was all they did. No, I, I no, because I know it's Reinsdorf, so I thought he'd be like, "Oh my god, five hundred thousand dollars! That's amazing." <laughs> no, no, they took the full amount. Yeah. Okay, but like, you know, that was all it cost them, and then they got Jordan Bell, who like for a couple of years looked like he was going to be a legitimate, like, good. It's it's irrelevant who they like, got. It's more yeah, of a process. Regardless, like, do that. Like, use your freaking money. I think they used a small amount of money to move up for Iggy last year, which I applauded at the time because I was like, good. Because that was all it cost them to move up 10 spots in the second round. But, well, like, they gave up the pick in whatever it was because they had the later pick in the second yeah, round. Yeah. Th- no, that's what I'm saying. They moved up 10 spots for like a million dollars or something like that. Like, they didn't use the full amount. They gave up like one or one and a half million or something like that. Yeah, to it, was the like, well, it was one and a half million and they moved up eight spots. But, like, yeah. I. It's but but this year drop the whole fucking bag, man. Like stop holding it. It's only James Dolan's money. And I feel like that's something Brock Oller will be good for to just be like, why are we not spending this money when our owner doesn't care? And like there's players available that we can take with second round picks and shit. Like so they like you might be able to buy a first round pick for that amount of money this year. Like they actually they actually did that under Donnie Walsh. They straight up bought the first round pick from the Lakers for Tony Douglas. Oh, okay. I was about to say, yeah, was that like Marty Collins? No, Marty Collins was Isaiah. Yeah. But yeah, Tony yeah like they, they literally paid them the full amount for whatever the hell it was at that time. And they, they got that pick for it. And like, I know Berman, I don't know. I think he, he mentioned it maybe on your pod or maybe, no, I think it was on Knicks fan TV, but you were on, um, he mentioned that like, he's like, yeah, you know, like this might be a year you could even just straight up buy a pick, like a first round pick for that money because teams don't know what the fuck's going on and they could definitely use the cash. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, if there's ever a time to, right? Like this, if there's ever a time to use that, it is definitely during a global pandemic where like a lot of teams are struggling for cash flow. Yeah. I just, that's what I would just love to see them do. Like actually get up and not just like trading up in the second round for like breast ache is this nice and all, but it would be really nice to see if they don't win the lottery again, like the top four, like they trade up in the top four because they really think that like, you know, Killian Hayes is the guy or Anthony Edwards, is the guy or LaMelo Ball is the guy or whatever it is. Right. Like that's who they're going to get. And that that would be a sign to me that like, there's a little like change in philosophy. Like they're, they're taking on, like that's like you were saying, Schwinn, like a different form of risk where they're just not going to settle for like whoever's going to fall to eight. Right, like they actually are going after their guy in the draft. Right. I mean, I mean, someone may like so they it may fall to eight because this draft is going to be weird. But 
I, I, I would much rather them just be a little more forceful and just now just like just we so we like I mean we've made fun of this stuff a lot like oh like NBA Twitter there's like these things that they love that like if a team does it they automatically love them but like to some extent it is a fair criticism because the Knicks never do that shit right they never do it and it's just like just be creative a little bit like like do things that I mean the the Grizzlies last summer like they'd made all these different moves where they that ended up netting them like and I know they had Conley which got them to first and they had like all this kind of stuff that worked out in their favor but the Knicks have stuff going in their favor right now in terms of like being a, like you have a situation that is creating a lot of un- uncertainty um you have some you have like the second most cap space in the league so uh you can take advantage of it that way you have seven first round picks over the next four years. You have uh, these three seconds, uh, one from Charlotte coming this year, and then one from Detroit, Detroit. next year, and one mm-hmm. from Charlotte again next year. Like you have all these kind of different assets and things that, like, like even Dennis Smith Jr. He's like very whack, but like he is an expiring contract. Like that, that is like a way he is an expiring team- contract who has who is under team control, right? And like ostensibly if he ever if he became competent a team could be like well we have his restricted free agency right so now we can just keep him like you have these kind of like assets working in your favor it's about showing me that like you can do more than just collect those things and actually use them to like assemble a basketball team that makes sense because like it's fine if people want to tank but i think everybody would agree that like there's a way to tank or develop or whatever that like makes sense so like you need to get pieces that make sense together and you know like memphis did this last year right they so they draft john moran which is like a perfect pick to go with you know uh jaron jackson Jackson. but like they didn't stop there right like they move up and they get brandon clark who is like the perfect fit theoretically next to jaron jackson jr and like so like shit like that is kind of I think what I would like to see them do is build towards a cohesive young core and like do it in a way that shows some level of creativity and thought beyond you know like oh we know young player good we know draft pick good we know caplex good like yeah anybody knows everybody knows those things are good <laughs> now fucking Shwin, use those things Schwinn were you at the draft meetup last year uh, I can't remember. No, I was not. I feel like you couldn't make that one. I my I've never been more like heartbroken during a draft than when the Knicks didn't do exactly what the Grizzlies did and got Brandon Clark. I wish that they could have done that so bad. What exactly it was still the haunts Clark me. trade again? So they had they had the pick from Utah um because of the, because of the common deal. trade yeah and then they used like that and maybe cash or maybe it was like that and a second or something like that uh to move up to 20 to get clark and like again like, i would have straight up like dangled the 2023 nice. dallas pick plus like that second round pick we had last year to move I, up for clark i felt that strongly but i i honestly i had clark like top five last year i yeah. wanted him so bad this is like a totally separate tangent but no yeah. it's because like this is shit that always like again like donnie walsh was always like he'd always be out i we love this guy this guy love this guy so much then fucking show me you love him like 
sh- like what what is it, Jerry Maguire? Show me the love. Like show me. Yeah, the show money. me the money. Yeah. Like yeah, show show it to me. Show me that you give a fuck. Show me because, like, that's it. Like you keep saying that you love all these things, then show me you love them, right? Like if you love having young players and developing them, fucking show me. If you love like building a good team that makes sense together, fucking show me. Like just show me this stuff because. Just telling me isn't enough now. It was great when Steve Mills first started telling me, oh, I was like, oh, wow, like this man loves draft picks. He loves cap flexibility. He's actually showing me he likes these things. Okay, but now you have to use those things to like build a team. And so please just start doing that productively and build a team. That would be wonderful. I I mean, this is probably the worst draft to do certain things like that, but. It, it would it's, be nice. It, it is and it isn't though, like because it's it's considered a somewhat deep draft. It's just not a top heavy draft. You can probably you know get I mean? a decent. There's probably going to be a decent amount of like role players in this draft, which is super boring. Um, but I mean, like I, I think the issue is more that there's not a lot of star talent in this draft. Which so, I and, which that doesn't really bother me too much. It's just more of like if like there was already reports the, the whole thing of like potentially the mellow ball maneuvering to get into new york which i i mean it kind of makes sense on his part but like if the knicks do well if they get into like the top four and he's potentially like the number one pick like make a swap for Lamelo if that's like something that you want and he wants and it also makes sense because i also like big guards but that's just that's just my bias but like just even it, it could be killing haste too like whatever it is just like if that's someone that they love like Go after him. Like, stop. Like, they're a pick away from Curry, and they could have probably gotten Curry. They could have gotten and, Curry. Like, there's no, you'll never convince me there's no way that Donnie Walsh could. Like, really, there's really, no fucking way. You, This yeah. man was tossing away first round picks to clear motherfucking cap space, but he couldn't give away anything to move up one fucking pick. Like, give me a, a fuck. I, yeah. Fuck Donnie yeah. Walsh. He's such a fucking <laughs> piece of shit. No, he really is. But uh, that's what I'm saying. Just like, I think that would definitely show me um, some sort of competence. And then, the probably one other thing would be like this free agency showing players that actually fit. Mm. Right. This like play, like, like this free agency, they took some like gambles on like Julius Randall, which was fine. Like I didn't necessarily mind that, but like you're banking on the fact that like he was going to continue his good shooting, which he had in new Orleans and turned out to not be the case with, uh, with New York, but just like, pick players that actually make sense and actually fit together. That's not these one dimensional players. When you already mentioned it, like the, the Steve, not the, I was gonna, yeah, the Steve Perry, you know, prototype of player, just like, so like, even, even with Randall though, like, okay, you can bet on, maybe you thought he legitimately had become a, the, what was it? He shot 34.4% in your own. Yeah. You thought he was going to be yeah. like a 33. Yeah. Let, let's just say like you, you think like, that's really like what he is now. Okay, but like, why are you signing Julius Randle? You're not signing him because he shoots threes at thirty four point four percent. You're right. you're signing him because you're like that adds a layer to his overall scoring package. And what is his scoring package based around? Finishing inside. Okay, so like, if that's the guy, you are kind of like this is our main get our you know our, our the crown jewel of our free agent kind of like expenditure, then. What do you need around that guy? And what do you re- need around your high-value lottery pick, number three overall, R.J. Barrett? What are the things you need around them? And Mitchell Robinson. Like, what are the things you need shooting? 
right? You need shooting. You need guys that are willing ball movers. You need guys that that are just willing to like do the small things. Also, like screen, play defense, etc. Yeah, and they started that too, which is frustrating because that's what Wayne Ellington and Bullock were. But they like doubled down on Peyton. Portis and Peyton, which is, yeah. and then they and then they played them more too, which was the really frustrating. It's not just like they added them to the roster; they played them, which was even more frustrating because like you kind of had guys if you things could have worked like Dotson and Ellington and Bullock. Well, Bullock was hurt, but like just like those two guys who can move off the ball make more sense for Randall and Barrett and guys like that. Just like they also didn't play them. So I definitely say like, if you're going to sign someone like, please make sure they fit and then also like play them in the rotation. I think that would just be key. I think that would definitely be showing some sort of sign of progress and not just throwing extra money at like random people just for, you know, shits and giggles. So those are mine. Alex, what do you got? Man, I don't know. You guys were pretty pretty thorough. I mean... That's what we my, are. We're pretty thorough. Yeah. Mine this is a professional outfit here. Yeah. 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 I mean, mine is just it, some of the similar things. I mean, I guess I'm really looking for, like, as we sort of already touched on a number of times, like a good approach to the draft. Um, not Not being content. I think it's just like a good way to sum all this up. Like, don't just be like, well, it is what it is. Like, like we fell to eight or whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> if there's an yeah. avenue to move up, like move up. If there's or move down, or, or move, yeah, move exactly. down. Just like, do I've, been, I've actually, honestly, I've been dying for the Knicks to move down one of these years. Like, I just want to be that team finally that cashes out on a not good draft pick. Like, if we fall to eight this year and there's no avenue to move up, move down. Find some dumbass team that wants Obi Toppin and like sell high to them and be like, Oh, you want to move up three spots? Give us a, you know, a top 10 protected first in two years or whatever that turns into a unprotected after two years or something, you know, like the, all these weird ass little like Boston Celtics ticky tack crap that eventually adds up and gives you like 500 first round picks after a couple years. Yeah. Um, Somehow the Knicks have like ass backwardsly kind of like in the most bizarre way on that. <laughs> a yeah. like, Actually like the Knicks, the Knicks have a great draft situation for the next two years where like also like to, to Drew's point, if they decide this year to trade like uh, 27 and I think it's 38, it's supposed to be um, mm-hmm. if everything stays where it is, if they want to trade those two and consolidate it to one pick, fuck yeah, do it. Like there's only so many roster spots like, you know, they, they have a number of players already under contract, you know, and and like a whole roster practically full of like rookie deals at this point, like consolidate your shit. And then next year you have four picks in the top 40, probably. I mean, cause next year they're yeah, going to have a guarantee. It's going to be in the top 40 because Detroit and Charlotte are more than likely going to suck again. <laughs> yeah. Probably still going to suck. And then, um, and then, you know, they have the Dallas pick and then their own picks. So they should have four picks in the top 40 next year in a stack draft. Like what's considered to be like, a super good draft. So like sweet, do it. Like, you know, move. Don't don't just, you know, sit on your hands, you know, like actually pick up the phone. That was the biggest thing I think with when Phil was president, that was my biggest thing with it. We can look back and we can see like all these different and it was to a certain degree, Mills and Perry, it sort of followed them too. But like you could see like when Phil's Phil was president, it seemed just kind of like Phil was like, Oh, it's draft night. Okay, well, we're pick whatever. And we're also pick whatever, like, I'm not picking up the phone tonight. Like, I know what our spots are. I know who we want to take. Here's our draft board. Let's just do it. And 
you know, that always annoyed me. Like I like, I like having a front office that I get the impression is picking up the phone every three seconds on draft night and trying to figure out something new or always entertaining offers, you know, like, like <laughs> to make the NBA 2K analogy again, like if we're in NBA 2K and it's like, your pick comes up and it's like, you have 21 offers for your pick. Do you want to, you know, check any of them? Never click the no button. Always click the yes button. Like call every fucking team and figure out who wants your pick and how much they want it. Because chances are there's probably a deal out there that could be enticing enough to you to move it. Um, but yeah, so like the draft not being content, that's the main thing. And then in free agency, I think just, well, for, for one, making smart decisions on the player options that are available, that's going to be important to me. So um, I will fully give credit to all the people that say that Scott Perry is still the number one voice in the front office if they pick up like Bobby Portis's option and Alfred Payton's option. Payton's a big one. If Payton's back, I'm like, so I'm already... I'm yeah. already feeling. Yeah, that's definitely like I'm definitely out on everything of Peyton. And like Wayne Ellington's option. Like the only options I want to see picked up are Reggie Bullock for sure, because that's a value contract no matter what. I noticed that you pronounced his name like Mike Breen pronounces it. Congrats. Yeah, Is good that job. Not how you're supposed to pronounce it? Is it Bullock? It, I think no, it's it's Block. That apparently that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Yeah, that's I I just I say it like professional. I don't know about you guys, but um, okay. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, pick his option up and pick up maybe Taj Gibson if you just are like screw it. We can't use the space any other way. May as well just pick him up because I would like to have Taj back one way or the other. Well, like, whether they this whether market... they find him and resign him or just you know straight up the market the market sucks. So, yeah. like, you can probably just be like, Taj, like, you're not going to get more than X amount on the market anyway. Like, we're yeah. not going to pick up your option, but we'll sign you back to, like, this. I think so like you should be able to, one again. Yeah, yeah, you should be like able that. to do that, especially if you, yeah. like, if they end up hiring Tibbs or something. Like, there's no way that they can't. Tibbs will probably be like, I'll make it up for you out of my own yeah, salary. Tibbs, yeah. <laughs> to just be like, your next contract will be great. Don't worry, Josh. <laughs> yeah, like, like even yeah. if you spread that money out, if you're, I don't know what his um, option for this year would ten. be, but even if 10, even if they're just like, just re-sign back for two years for five, I would be fine with that. Like even just, even something as basic as that, where you're just lowering the cap hit and you give ties, you're just like, you're spreading it out over two years. But yeah, just like, I, yeah, I don't think, yeah, but this market, this market's going to be so weird because we don't even know when it's going to happen and all this nonsense. I, who fucking knows? I think, I think it's important to I, it's not it doesn't need to be Taj, but it needs to be somebody like and I, that's the thing that's hard is like people always like you can just find a veteran mentor. I don't know how easy that is to do. Like I think there are good mentors and there are bad mentors. Taj struck me as like a good one this year, and Mitchell Robinson like gushed about him all the time. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Like I know he 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 had said like positive things about DeAndre last year, but I don't feel like it was as kind of you know I, I don't know the way he talked about Taj seemed very different to me um well Taj anyway. also just comes all across as like a super like professional guy really well liked really considerate things like that he just I don't know he just seems like a really I good dude like, too I just who I kind of want around him, the team. Him and Morris I think so and I know like it's a it's a meme now and it's it's actually hilarious like the whole like we got dogs this year thing, but like I actually like Morris and 
Taj actually were like dogs, quote unquote. Like they they actually are tough. They're not just like pretending yeah. to be tough or like beating their chest and stuff like that. Like they're actually tough. And I I thought that like that was pretty useful. Um in terms of like, you know, whatever you want to say about the Knicks this year, I don't I didn't other than like that Memphis game and like that ended in a fight, so that should tell you something. Um <laughs> other than that game, like there was there wasn't any time I felt like a team just came into the garden and was like, you know, yucking it up and having like a jolly old time and clowning the Knicks and like like it felt like it generally did feel like a much more professional outfit, which got much more professional once Mike Miller took over for Fisdale. Like it, it felt like mm-hmm. a team that, okay, look, they're not a good team yet and they're still gonna get their ass beat on many any any number of nights, but like Generally speaking, I thought it was like, okay, this is like looks like an NBA basketball team now that isn't just like hoping they can stay in a game, right? Like it, it was, it, which was like, again, <laughs> very low hanging fruit, like very low bar to clear, but they did clear that. And I thought like Todd's professionalism and just kind of like, you know, he's one of those guys I don't think, te- and I don't think there's anybody around the NBA that's like really trying to start you with Todd Gibson. Um, <laughs> that would seem like a really bad idea. <laughs> it just didn't happen either. Like, I, it didn't happen. And I will say, I do think that to your point, like Marcus Morris, I think was a little bit of a fake tough guy, but (laughs) Mark, no, have you heard stories what Marcus Morris and like his brother would like did off the court? Like, no, no. I mean, I mean to say I am. uh, Okay. I shouldn't say he was a fake tough guy. I think he was a stupid tough guy. Yeah, Um, that's fair. That's fair. Like he started a lot of shit that didn't need to get started. Like with the, I mean, as funny as it was, like the bopping Justin Anderson on the head in a preseason game and like trying to elbow him shit. And then like what did, he had another one where he got thrown out. He had like three times where he got like thrown out of the game. And I was like, dude, w- why? There was no reason for that. Like you're much more useful on the court than you are getting your ass thrown out to like send a message or whatever. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird, though, because like as much as, you know, teams are smarter now and all this stuff, like. You always read like I'm almost a thousand percent sure part of the internal logic the Clippers had of like trading for Marcus Morris was like, yes, keep him away from the Lakers. Yes, he's shooting the three at like 600 percent this year. But I'm almost positive they were probably like he's going to like bring a level of toughness to this team that we might still be lacking. Like I'm a thousand percent sure that conversation happened. And I'm I think it still happens around the NBA, no matter how much people want to be like, it doesn't matter and teams are smart. Oh, it definitely uh, matters. It definitely <laughs> matters. Yeah, it definitely matters. And there's also an element of like even just some basic stuff. Like when you're in the playoffs, you can you can play uh, George, Leonard, and Morris all oh, yeah. together, right? Like you can do all that. And you and if you, you can, the switch, ball's not going to move. No, oh, yeah, the ball's not moving. <laughs> but, but on defense, you're able to switch yeah. almost everything, and you won't have clutch time. In clutch time, someone can take the last shot. <laughs> more, yeah, more. Morris is taking the shot. The problem is that Morris actually thinks like, no, this is this is my shot. This is this is my possession here. Yeah, like I got it, guys. Don't worry. Kawhi's just like, dude. <laughs> Kawhi would be like showing him film of the the Philly game winner last year, and Morris is like, yeah, but look at this fucking shot I had against Dallas earlier this year. Yeah, <laughs> tell me the shot, tell me the ice wasn't in my veins. Look at well, the shot that- I hit, hit against Chetty Osmond, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Morris had tons of shots. He also did that with the uh, the Celtics too before Jason Tatum. Did that he was game. actually he was low key. I remember watching a game when he first got there, and like Stevens consistently would 
go to him for like last present like last second. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. But I remember watching like a national TV game and they went to Morris and I remember I was arguing somebody was arguing like I remember arguing with somebody like, why the fuck are they going to Marcus Morris instead of like Isaiah Thomas or Tatum or whatever? And I'm like, you know, like it's weird, but Marcus Morris ISO is like one of their most efficient plays. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird because was the ISO or there was Marcus Morris on the pick and roll, I think, this year for the Knicks. He was scoring over like 1.4 points per possession on like pick and roll. It was something insane because he was shooting like 69% from three. At, yeah. like, it was it was insane this year. Like he's, I don't know. Like some of the advanced metrics on Marcus Morris are like. Oh, dude, elite. his three-point shooting with the Knicks was obscene. He shot like 45%. On like yeah, high yeah, he did. Volume. That, like, like whatever whatever our front office fucked up last summer, that was like <laughs> it was amazing that that number sustained long enough to get him to getting the Knicks two picks out of him. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it's like it's, essentially they are basically getting like two late first value out of him, which is mm-hmm. insane considering it was just a one year deal and like because that Pistons you know. pick is very valuable plus. Plus, they get that weird emergency release valve next year. If somehow the Clippers finish below them next year, they do get to swap picks. Yeah, I mean, um, once once Anthony Davis force once Anthony Davis and Giannis force their way here, the summer, it's all over, baby. Yeah. AD and free agency. Once the Lakers realize they can't pay people anymore because they had to take the small business whatever <laughs> loan PPE from the government, the PPE or whatever. Yeah, once they realize, oh God, we can't pay Anthony Davis now. We're broke. Like then, come to the Knicks, baby. We'll pay you. Well, so, speaking, of, speaking of Anthony Davis, you know when two K he signs with the Knicks like every single time he declines oh, his know. player option and he signs with the Knicks, even if they have like the worst record. I just, <laughs> it's great, it makes great no sense, dude. You know, okay, not to turn this into a two K thing, but you know what I've realized in two K, all you have to do is watch around the trade deadline. Go to the team intel screen and look for the teams to say they're selling. All of a sudden, all their untouchable players are touchable. And then you can like trade for whoever the frick you want. Like I traded for what did I do in the one? I got I have a starting lineup now of like Cade, because I traded up for him in 2021. <laughs> uh I have Cade, Bradley Beal, Zion, AD, and Mitch. I think that's pretty realistic. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 wait, no, no. I'm sorry. I traded, I traded Mitch in the Zion deal. Wow. Because because the Pelicans decide they were selling. That's what I'm saying. They, Hashtag betrayal. Just selling, they will trade anybody. And so, like, I actually was able to put together a package for Zion. Now I'm trying to remember. Oh, I have Brandon Clark as my center. That's right. That's right. Well, if you well, I'm going to continue with the uh, the 2K stuff. You know, if you pick like a different team, say like you decide to build. If you're a Knicks fan, you're like, you know, what? I'm going to try a different team. You say to go for like the Spurs, for example, right? You could take their pick wherever they land at like 14, 15, and like Derek White, and the Knicks will trade you like Mitchell Robinson in a future first round pick. Oh, I know, dude. It's terrible. I hate fleecing the Knicks in 2K, but I always do it. (laughs) It makes no sense. And I'm like, you know what? I'm fleecing them every single time because they just willy nilly give up uh, Mitchell Robinson for like nothing. Mitch for nobody. But like, that happens every year in 2K. This year, Mitch was just that player. But like every single year in 2K, there's like yeah, there's always one random person. Yeah, that are really... available for nothing. Like the one year it was, uh, oh man, who is it that I think I picked up? I picked up Donovan Mitchell because they only had him at like a three, three and a half star prospect, <laughs> even when he was clearly like four, four and a half star. And I was like, 
okay, so I'll trade for him, and then his potential would still be through the roof, and I'd get him up to like a 90 overall in like a year when he was like an 83 or whatever. Anyway, not to listen to the 2K podcast. But, I will get into my final my final thing about Leon Rose in the new front office, not to like divert us too far. Um, my other thing is just I want them to – I want them to basically – do last year's free agency, but smart, if that makes sense. Like, I actually liked conceptually what the Knicks were trying to do last year of, hey, let's take, let you know, let's go for some decent veterans or whatever. And let's, like, try to take a stab at some of these guys that are, like, going to be on their second contract or maybe, like, their... I, I call it like two and yeah. a half contract, you know, yeah, get, like get I, a better, get better veterans. Pick yeah, better veterans. Like, yeah. But like guys like Bobby Portis, Julius Randall, whatever, like Julius Randall is technically with his, with the Knicks is on his third contract, but like, it's really like his second contract. Cause the yeah. Lakers basically gave up on him. He took a one year prove it deal with new Orleans and proved it. And then got the deal from the Knicks. Like look for guys like that, but like spend it smarter. Like I talked about in my, I wrote like an SI thing and I was like, go after like Jeremy Grant. Like, why not give him a decent chunk of money? Like, he's he's 25, 26 years old, and he's improved every single year that he's been in the NBA. He's now up to a point where he's shooting, like, like 40-plus percent from three on volume. Yeah, which, and it wasn't just the corners this year either. No, yeah, he. I mean, he shot from all over the place and, like, and pretty much only shoots from, like, outside and at the rim. So, like, you were just talking about how Clark – was like the perfect compliment to JJJ. Like he's also sort of the perfect compliment to Mitch and like Jeremy Grant is sort of a similar player. The rebounding Um, might suck, but yeah, I mean, offensively it's a really good fit. Offensively. It's a great fit. Like he's just, he's going to be outside or he's going to cut in for a basket and that's it. He's not going to be like Julius Randall where he's going to need to be like a 30 usage percentage freaking ball hog. Like get out of the way, Mitch. I need to spin move my way into the middle. You can dribble um, off my dick right now. Yeah, but like, <laughs> dribble off the dick. Jake. It's just, uh, Randall's so um, goddamn frustrating, too, because he wasn't really like that in uh, yeah. L.A. Yeah. and New Orleans either. Because it's just how he was coached. Like, David Fisdale installed it in his head, like, you're LeBron James. You well, are LeBron I think, I think also, like, the, we didn't, so, like, in L.A., they had more ball handling. and They did. They had, they had and Lonzo. New Orleans obviously like had, yeah, New Orleans had, like, it's it's some of it is on Randall and some of it is just like the situation. But he didn't. Every everybody has a little bit to blame with how Julius Randall's season uh, worked out. I also don't think a season was like. I think if he had just played under Mike Miller the entire season, we yeah, no one a would bit different. Zero people would complain. Well, yeah. not complain, but like it would just be like a little fairer in the criticism. Would be like, yeah, he spins too much, he trips off his dick. I don't. Sort of I don't think everybody would be like desperate. Like people are like so desperate. Like we have to trade him. It's like fucking relax, man. Like it's okay. Like if Randall, if the worst thing that, about the Knicks summer is that we can't trade Julius Randall and he's still on the roster for another year, like I'm sorry. Like I'm not going to lose my mind over that. And I actually think you could probably fucking trade him for like a pick or something like that at the deadline because teams will want a player like that. And he is again a contract that's team friendly, which is it makes him an attractive trade asset. Yeah, it's, it's a team friendly expiring contract of someone who actually does provide value. Like we can joke, we can criticize him all once. Like he can like finish close at the rim. Like that's something he can do. He can't rebound if he decides to do short roll pick and rolls and actually pass. Like he can do that too. He's a pretty decent. He, he literally averaged twenty and ten. On like fifty-five true shooting for the entire time that, and with yeah, like just over three assists for <laughs> just like for for the entire time that Miller coached, like yeah, like 
he has value. He's like he's a good player. He's yeah. he's obviously not option number one on a bad team. He's like option number four coming off the bench or something like that. Yeah, he he's whatever. He's like the big man version of Tim Hardaway Jr. Where like he'll be ass on the Knicks, and then if we he wasn't even really ass on the Knicks in my opinion. But anyway, it, he'll be ass on the Knicks, and then like we'll shoot him, and then all of a sudden people will be like, oh my god, we got feast. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, this is exactly. Tim Hardaway shot like forty percent from three this year. It's like, yeah, it must be nice when you have Luca <laughs> creating so much gravity. You just have open shots yeah, your entire he's time. Totally going to do that in the playoffs, and their offense is definitely going to still work in the playoffs because teams would definitely honor, uh, you know, Dylan <laughs> as a <laughs> threat. Oh God, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah I just want to moral of the story. I just want to take like good shots on guys like that you know what i mean like i want to i want to go after like i want to try and do what they did last year but just better and that's it like give out short-term high dollar contracts as high as you can whatever the cap ends up being like i think that the league is going to try their damnedest to keep the cap basically what it was last year at least for this upcoming off season to not create this like chaos situation but they may update the projections for future years, which is going to like make teams a lot more um, cautious to spend decent money this off season. So like it might you know, just that, stay flat for a few, few years. Yeah. But that's like, that's also why the Knicks hired fucking Brock Aller to come in here and know this shit and be like, Hey, this is a good risk. Hey, this is a bad risk. Like, Hey, I know the salary cap. Like I once blah, blah, blah did something to get, a player for LeBron James or something. I don't know. He, whatever the story was about him with building the, the Cavaliers team, whatever. But like, yeah, you know, I just want to take those like calculated risks, but actually do it on smart players. Like Schwinn, you kind of talked me into this and I, I have grown on the idea of like going after Sarich. Like why not give him a big one plus one deal and just be like, Hey, come here for like, $10 $10 million or whatever. Like, let's see what you got. Cause quite frankly, he came into the NBA with like point forward buzz and sort of showed it a little bit with the Sixers, but ultimately couldn't really get that off the ground because Ben Simmons like came in the league the exact same year. And, you know, was, so then they had like a point guard and Ben Simmons and Darius Arch on the floor at any given time. And that made it kind of difficult for him to be like a point forward, but that's a dude I'd be willing to take a chance on. Like, I mean, he shoots a pretty good three ball. Like, he can handle the ball, kind of. I mean, he's not really going to give you crazy shit on defense or whatever, but I don't know. I think it's a guy we're taking a chance on off the bench. So, uh, just guys like that. And in addition to re signing Frank, I want to re sign Dotson, too. I think it would be really, it would show a lot of smarts from the front office if they re sign Dotson. You could probably take get Dotson for jack shit, too. Yeah, they'd probably be able to re-sign him for jack shit, which is unfortunate because I'm pretty sure that the team intentionally suppressed his value down the stretch of this year. But I don't think they they just didn't want to play him because I don't think they're that smart. <laughs> he definitely intentionally tanked his value. I just I I'm just I don't think Dotson is that I don't think it's that big of a deal they didn't play him. Um, and I look at the stretch that he played right before they benched him, and then no, they benched thought, him for Ellington I, and Bullock. Who okay, hold like, on, hold on. All right, hold on. Actually. Ellington was like on fire at the end of the season. Like he, he really was. He wasn't missing his, his shots. Three point percentage went up like five points, which is like the most predictable thing ever because he has a fucking entire like track record of shooting thirty eight percent from three or whatever. Um, so like I don't think I just don't think it was that big of a deal. Like I think it's a, it's also like no coach is going to do 
every coach that has ever existed in the history of basketball has made a decision or multiple decisions through the course of a year with the rotation that you don't agree with, that fans don't agree with, and they're going to bitch about it and they're going to complain about it. And we do it every year with every fucking coach on every fucking team. And I just think that, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, if the biggest problem... All right, all right. I normally... I don't care. I normally would agree, except for... Okay, because I I just... I just released this thing. Like, I just wrote this piece. And Dotson from January 20th to February 3rd, it was an eight-game stretch, was averaging like... That's a great sample size, by the way. Eight games. That's a great sample size when it says something good about Frank, by the way. It's small, but that's that's all that you can draw from because his playtime was so inconsistent. But he goes eight games. He's averaging about 23 minutes a game. Shot 53% from the field, 54% from three, 75% from the line, and scored like 11 and a half points in 22 and a half minutes. From that point on through the end of the season, he only appeared in like three out of the remaining 10 games or something and topped out at I think like 16 minutes in one of those three appearances. So that's crap. They were definitely. So are you saying they should max him this summer? No, I'm saying like sign him to a reasonable deal. Like take advantage of the fact that you suppress the dude's value. But you know, I, feel I, see, I just, I just don't <laughs> think it's that big of a deal that they like. I just, I'm, I like Dotson. I think I, I actually agree with you that they that he should have played more and that he should have stayed in the rotation. I, I like, I agree with all of that. I just don't think it's like I think it's very possible there is something that like his defense is okay. It's fine. But it, he also gets beat backdoor a fuck ton. Like, he does get beat backdoor a ton. Um, like, there's just, like, stuff he does that I, I think a coach could just be like, no, fuck that. I'm going to play Now, out. to be clear, like, I don't think he's perfect. Like, I wrote the thing for SI. So I've been going for SI. I've been doing, like, every single player that the Knicks have a free agent or option decision on this offseason because it's, like, two-thirds of the roster. Um, and when I did Dotson, like, my conclusion isn't like, oh, my God, lock this guy up. He's like a multi-year starter. But, like, I do think – I think on a team that's decent, he's he could be, like, a seventh, eighth man kind of guy. And on a team that, like, really has something to play for, he's probably, like, a ninth or tenth man. But I definitely think he's worth retaining. I I can't care this much about a bench player who's, like, the eighth man in the rotation. Like, I just – I mean, I, I can't, can't care. I can care. I just think that, I can because like, that's. I mean, that's in some cases that's how championships yeah. are won. Like oh, how, how you build out your bench and shit. No, I I care insofar as like I think that they, if you were like I would rather they valued what they could have moved him for than just be like let's try and suppress his value. Like you know, like I think if you could, if they could have moved him for a second round pick at the trade deadline last year to like they a contender or something, yeah. they should have done that because. I agree. like. I think he's more valuable to a team further along in their kind of like off of his rookie deal on an actual NBA salary. He's more valuable to a good team than he is to the Knicks. Um, but you know, whatever. I I I mean, I think that they could keep him, and maybe they should even keep him. Um, it's it'll be interesting to see how they fill out their wing rotation. Like they could basically just like take out Ellington and then you know sign. Dots into a contract and have him replace Ellington permanently in the rotation or something like that. Um, I would love nothing more than the two rookies that stay with the Knicks are picks under Phil Jackson. That would make me well, the happiest person. Would 
would you like to talk about your theory um, that you mentioned before the podcast? No, we don't have to get into that now. We've been talking for like an hour and a half, and I think I want to save that (laughs) for Monday's episode because I have some not crazy theories, but like I just have ideas I need to explore with the draft and restricted free agency. Let's just leave it at that. I'm giving you guys a nice little teaser for uh, Monday's episode. How how far um, do you know names of players in draft this year? I know Poku. (laughs) I know. Killian Hayes, I know Lamelo Ball, I know I, still Anth- just, I know I Anthony Edwards, yeah, uh, I know Obi Toppin, okay, I know Demi Advija, Adia, uh-huh. oh Adia, yeah, but there's that's a how I imagine that's pronounced too, yeah, Adia, and I think that's it. There's someone called every time I play 2K, there's someone called Killy Tilly, who I have no Killy idea. Killy Tilly, oh, yeah, from that Kill- yeah. It's not Killy Tilly? No, it's Killian Tilly. Yeah. Okay. That's all I know. I uh, I will never forgive myself for bringing you on to a draft episode last year and then going, yeah, Drew, yeah, there's these guys and then there's blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, there's Bruno Fernando. And you go, who the fuck is Bruno Fernando? I've never <laughs> heard of him. And I'm like, he's projected to be like the 18th overall pick, dude. You're like, no, fuck that. Fuck Bruno Fernando. <laughs> I'm like, I still <laughs> This is the Hawks. Every time I play 2K, the Hawks offer me this dude, and I'm like, I don't know who he is. Like, who is he? Like, what type of name? I I can't get. Watch more basketball, Jesus. (laughs) No, that's okay. You should. I think I should be on more mock drafts at least. (laughs) I should be on the next draft special for uh, Locked On Next, giving my breakdowns on uh how Anthony Edwards. We haven't uh, even really started them yet. I got to really start getting like you guys and Macri have been doing draft stuff, and we've. We got this like directive from Locked On, not to get too like meta here, but we got this directive from Locked On about like, oh, during quarantine we want to do like historical this and blah 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 that and what ifs and this that and the other and we got like this whole like programming schedule. Plus they knocked us back, so it's like, oh, I guess the draft can just kind of get put on hold for a little longer. Like right now would normally be when we'd be switching in draft mode, but. We haven't really gotten there yet. You know, the, you know, the only college game that I watched this year was an Anthony Edwards game. Yeah. The only one I watched, I think they were, Georgia was playing. <sighs> I don't know, because all I know was, I don't remember anything about it that much. I just remember it was Georgia, and they were playing, I'm just going to say like NC State, even though I don't know, because I was in vegas at the time so i don't remember too much <laughs> about it and i just remember anthony edwards wasn't showing up like he was just kind of like meandering around the perimeter and i was like this game sucks college basketball sucks that i put on the uh, spongebob musical because they were showing that so <laughs> nice so that's my uh analysis on anthony edwards is he gets a little spacey and doesn't like to uh so how does how does Ant edwards compare to the spongebob musical Oh, SpongeBob Musical's great. I actually saw it in uh, Chicago, like when they're. I wish I had gotten a seat in New York. I missed it. It is. It was absolutely excellent. So yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, we're gonna have to watch it on demand. Yeah, we can end on the SpongeBob uh, musical. (laughs) Alex, what do you want to plug? Um, I guess I'll plug like my SI stuff. Like, so I've been writing lately. So the stuff that haven't been plugging at all throughout this episode. Yeah, I haven't brought it up once yet. Um, so, yeah, I've been writing the keep and cut pieces. I actually have one that I'm kind of working hard on that's very, like, 
weird to write because it's all very it's all very like opinionated about what I think would have happened. But we did a what if episode with Miranda um, from PNT, obviously, uh, on Locked on Knicks, where we went over a bunch of what ifs. And I thought those turned out really good. And then my editor, SI, liked them. So he asked if we could do like what ifs like for pieces. So I'm writing one that's like, what if Darren Williams got traded to the Knicks and Mello got traded to the Nets? That should be coming out in the next week. And I like that one quite a bit. So that should be pretty cool. Um, other than that, you know, listen to Locked on Knicks. Uh, oh my God, shut up. I'm done with you. Schwinn, Watch you Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. uh, what um, do I have to plug? I'm plugging yeah. I don't yeah. know what else. Yeah, no, Alex, I already enough. Done. You're done. <laughs> like, stop talking. Yeah, you're never <laughs> coming on the pod again unless we really need somebody. To yeah, unless, unless we really need <laughs> somebody. That's what you always say, and then I always end up back here like two weeks later. So, what does that say about you? It's <laughs> <laughs> Like it was either us reaching out to someone on Jazz Twitter, which was not an option, or have you on the show, which was like, eh, okay, we'll just do that then. Well, you could have had Tony Jones or whatever. The Who? Dude. Isn't uh, that the, the dude for the Athletic? Yeah. Tony Jones. Is He's definitely name? somebody you hate, Drew. Like, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. He's about yeah, I guarantee you, he probably has. Like you guys. Isn't his handle uh, okay? This is like T. I don't Jones even follow him, but I see it pop up enough. Isn't his? Isn't his handle like Jones on the NBA or something? No, no, like no. That's a different one. There's, no, that's someone different. There's, it's. I think his is like T Jones NBA or something. But uh, you okay. definitely. Well, either way, he's got NBA at the end of his handle, so you know. Yeah, and legit. I've I've definitely seen Drew like send a tweet of his in Slack. For <laughs> what is he talking about? But yeah, he, there's... yeah, I mean, he yeah. thinks Biggie's the best rapper ever. I think so. You probably hate him for that since you love Common. Finally. Yeah, Common is one hundred percent the. Uh... The best rapper of all time. Just like metaphors. Yeah, it's true. I used to love her. Yeah, it's deep. Who is her? It's it can mean so many things. Nobody's so deep. So deep. Could be his lover or it could be hip hop. Hip hop, hip hop. Hip hop. Okay, you're done. For I'm going to plug nothing because I it's, it's still quarantined. There's nothing going on. Should you have like a million play? shows to plug right now? Aren't you like Mr. TV? <laughs> do I have show, um, let's see what shows do I have to plug. Or am Something I going to have to cede that title to Jared Dubin? <laughs> <laughs> As Dubin for his uh, TV opinions. Yeah, yeah no, I so mean, I, clearly he knows more than you do if you can't even come up with one off the top of your head. Yeah, he's, he's watched, watched The Wire. Shows in the last week, man. He's, he's watched, watched The Wire? wire? Yeah. Oh, my God. I should probably watch that. I've heard it's, like, the greatest show ever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. No, um, let's see. Um, I still got to finish up Godless. Those are really good episodes. It's, like, a slow burn, though. Yeah, um, like each episode, yeah, it's like it's really good. It's slow burn. Like every episode is like over an hour, so it it does feel like you're watching like a movie every That's single time. Because one, yeah, yeah, it's, it's I watched it's, it's that a, one. I watched that like a year ago. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. Godless is really good. I'm watching High Fidelity on Hulu right now, mainly because it's uh, Zoe Kravitz, because you know Zoe Kravitz, and uh, she owns like a record store, and I just love me. Being, you know, a wannabe record collector. Yeah, so that's it's a really good business to be in. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely hit the record bits. It's definitely booming, man. Uh, yeah, definitely it booming. Honestly, it is. Like you like, joke, yeah, but like to be fair, it, no, it actually is. But um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like you still have to put a lot of effort into like actually collecting the records. It's it's a whole thing. We don't have to get into it now. But like I'm watching that show. I'm probably going to rewatch Twin Peaks and Community soon after I finish uh, Godless, and then I'll probably watch The Last Airbender again. I'm working on Community right now. Almost done with it. Dude, seasons five and six are really good. Like, I kind of forgot that. Not nearly as good as seasons two and three, or one. But I mean, like... everyone knows for Community, the best season is season four. So, Are you guys talking? <laughs> Jesus. Schwinn, we're just, yeah, we're just... initiated in the community yet. You really need to watch it. No, Schwinn not like community. I think he would. It's very like pop culture and shit. Like I think he'd like it. All I like is basketball. That's all I care about. That's bullshit. I know, bas- I know of your likes. I like basketball and I like and basketball. uncut gems. And uh... <laughs> oh, I'll plug uncut gems. I finally watched it. I, I love it. I like we're gonna it. plug more. I know. We're gonna, we're gonna plug browsers. <laughs> yeah, I just want to plug my, my boy Johnny Sins. <laughs> yeah, oh, Johnny Sins. Yeah, definitely. He's a he's a hardworking man. He's you know he was formerly in the military. He's a dentist. Right, he's a right. doctor. Let's, let's, okay, we're gonna we're nobody gonna, wants we're, this anymore. Yeah, we're done. Uh, <laughs> see you on Monday.